Welcome to a new edition of the Heads in the Game podcast. Every time we bring this back, we always talk about how long it's been since the last. But this one, new, brighter future of consistent episodes. Fingers crossed. The January transfer window has just closed a couple of days ago. And the immediate news cycle is about money, money, money. Specifically, Chelsea's record and record by a significant amount transfer spend you know we'll of course talk about the transfers that made that happen that occurred in the premier league not a lot happened elsewhere in europe but also what this means for the landscape of european football two years ago we talked about the dangers of the super league that the worries of you know financial doping creating a product that simply push others out into the periphery it appears we might have achieved that or have we We'll discuss that and also look ahead to the second half of the Premier League season with Arsenal sitting in pole position for their first title since 2000 and Turner. Oh, 2003, 2004. Um, since yeah. the Invincibles season. 20. Yeah, thanks, thanks for shouting me there. That would have been, yeah, you had to keep, keep me on my feet. Uh, I keep I'm feet. not a new fan. Uh, <laughs> you imagine like oh that yeah here is turner representative arsenal fan i am charles um sort of confused chelsea fan pondering his place in the world um yeah well let's i feel like maybe yeah. before we get super into super league let, let's refresh on both our teams like like the, the window in general Definitely. uh you saw an absurd amount of spending and i think where again we'll, what we'll get to is not just from the big teams. Uh, it, it was, I mean, obviously Chelsea uh, headlined the show, uh, as you could say, but teams like Bournemouth, teams like Southampton spent millions. Uh, and, and and I think I think the winter, it being the winter transfer window, I think also highlights this absurdity as yeah. usually that is a window that there's much less action. Teams are less willing to sell. Um, and so you wouldn't see astronomical numbers uh, like we saw uh, this window. So I think that that's also, um, you know, put an asterisk on on this window. Um, but I mean, I think we have to start with you, Chaz. Uh, I believe you guys signed eight players. Am I getting that right? How? What was the final tally? Uh, you know, it lo- you, you lose count pretty quickly. Yeah, um, yeah I've lost count. I've lost count, but uh, give us the rundown, the ins and outs. Yeah, so of course, you know, the general landscape of Chelsea was that Roman Abramovich is forced out as owner after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And what that means is, you know, since he took over the club in 2003, that Chelsea has always been characterized as just like buying, you know, the randomest assortment of players or, you know, always buying top talent to make it in, you know, the infamous 2003 transfer window where they bring in an entirely new squad, but also signings like throughout the years. The last example of which was the signing of uh, Romelu Lukaku for a you know, hundred million, um, you know, equ- the equivalent to just lighting a hundred million dollars on fire as we turned out. But so then Todd Bowley comes in and people are like, Oh, like 
this is going to be a you know new approach, like a new era for Chelsea. Just absolute madman. Like this dude is off his nut. And like he, you know, the quotes that come out is, you know, I've always referred to our transfer strategy as like a 12-year-old playing FIFA career mode. But he like literally, the reporting is that the World Cup final happens and he just turns to his recruitment staff and is like, get me that man talking about Enzo Fernandez. So to recap, Chelsea signed Enzo Fernandez for a British record. Also, a Portuguese record, and even the sell-on clause was an Argentinian record. They, <laughs> I didn't see that. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The River Plate was it? Or, right? Is that yeah, River Plate. Bought yeah. Mikhail Mudrik from Shakhtar Donetsk after Pepe and Arsenal. They signed Jao Felix on loan. They signed Baida Chile from Monaco. They find they signed Majuke from PSV. They signed Malo Gusto from Lyon. They signed Andre Santos from Vasco da Gama. In, they also include signing uh, multiple youngsters. Pietro uh, Fofana, this Ivorian striker that, to be honest, I'd never heard of. Um, I think that's it. But the figure of Chelsea, and we'll talk about this in a different context, is that Chelsea's transfer spend alone was more than La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga and Ligon combined. It was a unbelievable transfer window. Um, yes. And the sort of Chelsea obviously needed acquisitions. You know, they were in, they're in, sitting in 10th place in the Premier League. But this is both a, you know, unbelievable sum of money. And if you look at the amount of money that's been spent on that team in the past two windows and then look at the team, it's not exactly like, you know, Real Madrid Galacticos. It's like sort of shit in some compartment. So, yeah. I- yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. I'm so excited for this Fulham game on Friday to watch you guys because uh, as I think some have remarked, you you don't you have no idea what the starting lineup is going to be, and I think I mean again I think we'll get into this uh, later in the episode with our predictions for the second half of the season. But I, I'm very intrigued to hear, Chaz, what what Chelsea, what you think Chelsea are going to do mm-hmm. with some of what you two years ago the two I mean I I think the two players uh, who won you Champions League, Havertz and Mount, what their roles in this team are. I mean it seems like Pulisic is a goner, but I mean we'll save that for. For predictions but it's just like the 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 i guess how you would consider i mean they're not even dead wood though it, like because they're not dead it's just like the the old the the lasting players from the old regimes um how they fit in and whether they have a role yeah. in the future. but i mean before i mean before before uh you know obviously it's, it's quite easy to shit on uh chelsea's thing and and it is absurd and i i i i think it's quite frustrating um Firstly, I, I think there's some good deals here, and I don't think it's as absurd. I, like in terms of the the mindlessness, or like the the the. I mean, like some of these deals are. I think I think will will really turn out for you, especially like. I mean, I know as Fabrizio keeps tweeting about this Andre Santos kid scoring what four goals in four games and some like like. International twenty one tournament. Yeah, well, I don't know what tournament. tournament is. <laughs> I like. I'm not acting like it's. It's like crazy impressive, but like that's that. Like that's you know they're all the right profile. All you, a lot of them are really young, um, players. And I mean, 
Mudrik, I, I mean, I, again, we have to caveat this with my team. Uh, we're not looking not to spend, uh, let's let's say, uh, this window um, with the Mudrik deal falling out of our hands in the last second, which I was quite devastated by. Um, and that was, I mean, I think we had put up 95 mil. So, like, I'm acting, you know, that that is another, that would have broken our transfer record fee by 20 million easily uh and then we also went in for Caicedo for I mean I'm glad we didn't go any higher than 70 but for a large large amount of money um and didn't get either of them so I think Arsenal's window is interesting to compare to yours where we kind of lost out on these massive uh players uh and their fees but then ended up with these kind of I mean alternatives is a good way of putting them but I, I think in the past those alternatives haven't looked too shabby um especially when you look at we were we you know we went all in for Vlahovic uh last winter break uh didn't didn't get him um and then not that Jesus would have been considered his backup because they're very different players but if we had gotten Vlahovic we definitely wouldn't have signed Jesus and Jesus has clearly worked out quite well for us so I think I think Trossard's great I think I wished I think the, my only issue with both the Trussard and Jorginho deal is we saved both those teams in that both of them had six months left on their contract, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really no time. Like, like, like we could have yeah. gotten both guys for free. And I think to spend 20, potentially, I think it's 21 with 27 and add on for Trussard. Uh, I just thought that was a little bit too much money, to be honest. Uh, obviously, he's really good, but like, I mean that just makes it seem like what if he had a year left he he's like a sixty million yeah and the other year, thing like, about- I just just like I don't know I I, feel like, other, I thought yeah. that was a little too much money but he's 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 good I mean I don't know he's yeah. good and obviously these are players who are just gonna propel us but you basically just add to a stable bench to ride uh this this title challenge but this is what um, I'll say about Trossard yeah. is you know I think Arsenal have obviously been extremely impressive this season but there has reached a point and you know it in every title challenge, it reaches a point where, you know, sustaining levels of form past small injuries, or you need the ability to, especially as you go. I mean, I know we've talked about this off the podcast, but that Arsenal really, really want to lose in the Europa League. Like that is number one priority is like throwing yeah. the Europa League game. And, you know, and they obviously lost in the cup against City, but it's, you know, it is a, productive thing to play less games at this point especially and this is no slight to arsenal the bench is not impressive like hang yeah. and, and you know i thought it was interesting that trust our deal is like you know they definitely recognize the need that they needed an attacking option and mudrick and trust are very different options you know mudrick is a the most direct player i maybe ever seen like that dude knows one speed and it is just sprint at the defenders Whereas, you know, Trossard is significantly more flexible. I mean, he's even played as far back as a wing back for Brighton. I thought what was interesting about the fee is, you know, Trossard had completely fallen out with Zerbi. He was like yeah. not training, you know, those serious attitude and all the shoes. Back in that too. Yeah. He right. still played that many. And then the comparison to Jorginho is Jorginho had, was not going to renew his contract. So he was gone in the summer. At the same time, though, there were no issues with Jorginho playing for Chelsea. Like, if that deal had not happened, no Chelsea fan would have been upset that Jorginho was still there. There was no, 
yeah, there's no reporting. Um, I feel like he's one of like the most. I mean, I'm speaking for you guys, but considering the the pedigree of Chelsea players we've signed, it felt in a similar mold of like, like because he was 31, he's somewhat slow on the ball. He kind of gets picked on a lot for like Chelsea's downfalls, especially recently. Obviously, then you can flip side, and he probably was you know crucial to your guys' Champions League and Italy's uh, Euros wins. But like, I feel like Chelsea fans most of all, all players to get rid of. I feel like he was probably up there. Am I right? Like, no, no like I don't oh. think. People were pissed. Think, like, oh, wow, they took our – maybe I'm not speaking yeah. – My bad. worry about the departure of Jorginho is that, you know, I think he's a flawed player for sure, and I think within a certain system that he's a great player, and I think that what Potter envisions for the future of this team does not necessarily fit Jorginho, and that's totally okay. The downside, though, is it leaves us pretty unbelievably light in midfield with, you know, a – I, you know, some of the reporting was that it's about integrating, you know, Andre Santos into the first team. Um, but, you know, right now our midfield options are a not very good Connor Gallagher. Like, hate to say it. Uh, like if, if the reports of that Everton bid were true, that they were bidding 40 million, I was like, take that in a heartbeat. Um, wow. But I mean, Mateo, I, yeah. I, I think he's, look, you know, this is the problem with, and this is the other problem with Chelsea's transfer spend is that it means that if you're going to spend a hundred million dollar on five positions, you know, the expected level from the other players is so high that it's almost impossible. And it's, you know, this is why the uh, Chelsea Academy system and integrating youth players, like for example, under Mourinho were so criticized is because it was impossible for players like De Bruyne and Salah um, and Lukaku at that point to break into the first team because Chelsea would just spend 80 million on their replacement. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. I don't know, like, I, you know, college, like, but it's, you know, um, if Jorginho's had tremendous great moments and, you know, he's like, a, you know, we, the cliche serial winner, like, I don't even know if that matters, but, you know, he's demonstrated that he can play a significant role at the highest levels of international and club football. So, you know, I think it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I mean, you know, all the reactions for Virginia is like, he'll either, you know, we either hope he never plays or he'll win at the league because he, you know, like a lot of people were like, it's a signing window and others are like, like me, who's just kind of hesitant. And I'm also just indifferent. I'm just like, I still just hope party doesn't get injured and he doesn't play a significant role in our title charge, but if, but I'm, I'm happy for him to come on in the 78th minute and calm things down play a couple of passes and get us through a game. Like, you know, like that's, that's what I think he's there for. So uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a fascinating transfer <laughs> and uh, we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. Um, Maybe Chaz, just, I feel like something that uh, I want to just question you before we move on is just, uh, so do you have any understanding of how Chelsea have gotten away with uh all this spending uh i have with some reading into it because it just has made no sense to me and a lot of other fans Mm -hmm. um with financial fair play if that even exists anymore um that uh that bully has somehow maneuvered around financial fair play through these longer contracts and potentially these installment bids is that is that what he's done so Um, because there's a brilliant if that is 
I mean, there, there's maybe some... brilliant. I don't know. <laughs> also clever... idiotic. I mean, nine-year there's... deals are nine-year deals. Uh, yeah. But... So the way financial fair play is supposed to work is that it's supposed to discourage this exact behavior. But the when you spend on a transfer, it the transfer fee is not. You know, you don't like for Mudrick or like let's say for Enzo Fernandez the balance is not 120 million on the this fiscal year it is amortized over the length of the contract there does exist a contract limit but what chelsea have done is basically all of these 9 8 you know year contracts they put the first 5 i think the cutoff is actually 5 on a you know significant on the first like on the actual contract and the next four are considered a club option which means that they'll take them unless you something else so wait like a year bend it functions like that we say sorry like it functions as like a year of like you know how the players like oh they he had an option to extend by a year yeah exactly that that, but it's a trigger that yeah but it's on the club side not the player side and so okay. it basically means that, it, you know, but it adds up. So it, you know, while this is true that you can distribute a $10 million contract or a $100 million transfer fee over the next 10 years, at the same time, when you do this with 10 transfer fees, it is adding up. And so the problem is that they're running into issues, both on registration issues um and also like just financial issues the big thing though is that there is new rules coming into next year and so next year is that you can only allow to spend certain percentages of your actual income on transfers in, in on wages agent fees etc and so Chelsea have been clear that the you know, clear like financial, this financial group that is backing the deal, that they're beating that deadline, that they're getting as much of business done to sign under 25 players before their transfer spend has to be reduced for financial fair play. And so the thing that could mess this up is Chelsea are basically doing this in the hopes that somehow they make it from 10th to 4th this year. Or they win the Champions League this year, which is, I think, fairly unlikely. Uh, because the financial win, the difference between not making the Champions League and making the Champions League is just unbelievable. Even the difference between Europa League, you make five times as much in the Champions League as you do in the Europa League. It's, you know, so yeah. I think. It's interesting, you know, Chelsea have always lost a lot of money. You know, they lost, uh, you know, I think more than a million pounds or like right around a million pounds a week under Abramovich over 20 years. So they're used to losing money, but they've sort of done some clever accounting to figure out the rest of it. Crazy. Crazy. Um, should we, before we just get into this, I'm just trying to think of like any deals that I liked by other teams really quickly. Um, I don't know if I necessarily I, liked it. I found it absolutely hilarious. The Don Juma transfer saga. Like yeah, that, was that, was, that was absurd. That was absurd. Um, 
yeah like uh, yeah i did like that uh i thought i thought it was cool that a lot of these um ukrainian players are getting their moves i thought the barney did bournemouth was cool yeah that uh, was bournemouth did. uh that's exciting um i'm just looking at i mean you know romeo beckham to brentford's b team big big move uh you know he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna who knows what underwear uh company he's gonna model for uh and make millions uh brighton didn't really do much i'm looking at uh oh, i mean a transfer that was pretty i i thought i mean it came out of nowhere and then it became clear that oh. the contract uh cancelo to Bayern was okay that was crazy um i think we also got to talk about weston mckinney uh to leeds i mean that uh <laughs> I mean, I, I just, what happens if Marsh gets fired and some dude rolls up and has got six Americans? They're still, <laughs> hey, they're still owned by the 49ers, baby. They're like, yeah, down, you know, like 50% or whatever. They're, I mean, it's absurd. It's a, it's a bit absurd, isn't it? At this point? I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's a bit absurd. I did like, um, I saw Southampton sign this like six foot seven striker who had like 16 goals in 17 games for Gank uh like that's kind of exciting um but i think what uh, i think is a good transition chaz what what really strikes also the these massive um just the the massive inflation of prices which i think everyone's going to highlight the mudrip deal but if you if you if you if you looked into it a lot of these i think um let me get the names right bournemouth signed a wing there were there were two three wingers who signed from legal uh in the Premier League one was um Autara uh, I'm probably pronouncing that right Dango Autara from Lorient uh and it basically just there was a sub article it was like these three wingers each of them had like eight goals and three assists for the season and were like you know a top top 10 top goal scorer it looked good by all accounts but each of them sold for 30 million um like kind of like like that and it just feels like that is going to become now that now that the Premier League has gained all the attention. It used to be like, oh, you know, you hear these players be like, oh, I I dream of a move to the Premier League, but the move wasn't. I feel like it was categorized by obviously the competitiveness, but it wasn't like if I got a move if if a player from yeah you know, the Belgian league got a move to the Serie A, uh, it wouldn't. I don't know the the pedigree between moving to the Serie A wasn't anywhere different than moving to the Prem, which now. Even the lowest teams, the lowest budgets, like like a Bournemouth, have just by staying in the Prem, they offer players so much more money, um, wages. Why? I mean, it just it's 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 insane. And especially on the cusp of, this bringing up a lot of things right now. So I'll 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 try to hone it hone it in. Uh, but um, it's I gotta... saw that that did you hear the report that Apple TV is trying to buy the Premier League rights for like uh 10 billion or something yeah like the domestic realize that that will and it will if, they, if apple tv for their streaming platform buys the rights to the premier league everyone's i mean we'd have to get apple TV. you mean like yeah i think i think the rights that they're bidding for are just the uh domestic premier league rights but yeah. i think this actually serves like for uh the united kingdom but i actually think that this is a great segue into what i want to talk about next and the yeah. reason is is because we you know there has been a tremendous amount of attention paid over the past few days as to the transfer imbalance that we highlighted earlier, the amount of money that Premier League teams have that other clubs do not. I mean, if you look at, for example, Italy, which used to be the preeminent league in the world in the 1990s, 
um, and is now unable to spend like any money because of just financial conditions. Juxtapose that to the United Kingdom, which the country itself is experiencing a protracted period of economic decline that yeah. is not experienced by any other OECD country. It is the only, its economy has contracted more in the past quarter than Russia's has. It is a country that is not on financial great footing. However, the Premier League is undoubtedly the world's most profitable, financially powerful football league. And we can see this because, you know, while I did see a Eintracht Frankfurt Ultra sticker on a bus stop in D.C. Um, yesterday, you, the, you can see it's just in the way that the world approaches football. The Premier League is regarded as the best league in the world. And this is the intentional consequence of more than 30 years of marketing of the Premier League since its inception in 1992. And so I think it's interesting because it means that you can sell your TV rights to Apple for, you know, however many billion dollars. But it also means that people like you and me, when we get into, you know, watching this sport, we gravitate towards, you know, A, a league that is conducted in our language, which I think is an important factor. But yeah. it's also unbelievably popular in countries that don't speak English. Like that's not nice. And so I think, you know, sort of zooming out for a little bit, you know, I want to ask you a question that like, is the Premier League the new Super League and is that bad for football? Yeah, I mean, Jesus, I, I think it definitely is the new Super League. That's on on. You can't really, you know, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I think I, I think what's interesting, again, well, I think what what highlights this absurdity, I'm, I'm just looking at that tweet that I sent you, uh, which Carlo Garganese he's been he's been updating almost every day uh, on the value so his his um his calculations bring us to 830 million spent by the premier league next up is legal with 127 million which i'm curious who who any what what transfers were made there um because i feel like legal usually doesn't spend big and then bundesliga with 68 la liga with 32 and Serie A with 31 um i mean it's just obvious that um that the the prem has so much more money and i think a part of it chaz and, and maybe i'd like i'd also like your take on it is it's very also obvious that uh the premier league is becoming continuously more viable or not viable like much more popular in the states the, the america america's love for the premier league and and america's love for soccer continues to grow I think daily, um, and I think those rights as to who has the American—I mean, like that—that that has just like continued to propel the amount of money, uh, the amount of time being spent watching it. I—I I mean, the what was the wasn't the Man U Arsenal game the most watched uh, U.S. game in or the most watched Premier League game in U.S. history? Yep. I, I don't remember that the stat of how many people watched it. Um, but I think when you ask, is it a bad thing? I don't know if it's a bad thing. It's unfortunately, it does feel inevitable, but I do feel that usually the Prem spending gets drowned out by Madrid. Real Madrid spending 200, 250 mil uh, and PSG, you know, buying uh, a superstar for over, you know, I mean, like, and so that's what's, I think, interesting um, about uh, this is like maybe this is, these numbers are are need to be asked again highlighted or uh, have like an asterisk next to them that 
it's the January transfer window and that these other leagues will be spending, but just not in this window. But that also also highlights, I just hit a double also, also <laughs> highlights uh, that the Prem's willing to spend almost a billion in the in, a, in the January transfer window while yeah. other teams. And I think what your point about the sort of popularity within the United States and all the is really interesting, you know, just like some quick stats, you know, in 2021, um, NBC renewed their contract for uh, the Premier League rights within the United States, which of course they put on Peacock and uh, USA and other NBC channels. They closed NBC Sports. Um, but th- that six-year deal is $2.7 billion. Yeah. Now, in comparison to the NFL, to yada yada, like we're still talking chump change. You know, Amazon pays two point like three billion or whatever to just show Thursday night football games. So we're not talking NFL numbers. However, yeah. that two point seven billion dollars that NBC paid is double what they paid in twenty sixteen. You know, it is undeniable that football is on the rise in the United States, but also that the market is eager for yeah. these things. And the other factor that you can see that comes to this is, you know, the influx of American owners within the Premier League. Chelsea, American owner. Arsenal, American owner. Manchester United, American owner. And that is just the three that we're talking about at the top. Oh, Liverpool. You know, they're they're exploring selling, as I mentioned. But, you know, in all likelihood, you know, if it's not a state-owned, if not a state company, it's an American owner at this point. And I think yeah. that that's a pretty fascinating outlook on the ecosystem. And yeah. I think, you know, this January transfer window is always going to be a little weird given that it's immediately after a World Cup. World Cup, you know, you get players like Enzo Fernandez who, you know, are unbelievable at the World Cup and also have great underlying numbers. Like, I don't, it's not like sort of a, oh my God, like we're just buying him because he's good at the World Cup. But, you know, there's no way that dude goes yeah. for the money he went for if, he isn't a star on Argentina's team. And so I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a really tremendously weird landscape. Yeah. And what do you think? I mean, I think what's even more, again, striking about the spending in the winter is that, like, it's also so obvious for a team. Like, I, I'm just focusing on Bournemouth because I think Bournemouth's the most fascinating example of this winter, winter of a team that didn't spend literally the entire the entire summer. Uh, Sacks a manager. And then goes out and spend, I think it was 75 million this window. And it just shows you how much they need to stay up. That like staying up now is so critical to these teams' financial situations. Um, that you're just talking about the difference between like Europa League and Champions League. Can you the difference between championship TV rights and Premier League t- t- no. TV rights are and even, and so even with, drastic? Or um, what's the word? Yeah. Uh, even with, you know parachute payments aside but i mean you just have to look at a player like weston mckinney like weston mckinney look i i know who ventus are in the shit right now like you know that is we could have a whole other episode to talking about juventus's financial irregularities but regardless of that weston mckinney is you know was playing for juventus you know he was not the star he was not but he this was not a oh he was rotting on the bench and he moves from juventus to a relegation threatened Leeds United team. You know, Bournemouth were in for Zaniolo. You know, Zaniolo is yeah, true. You know, we forgot about heralded that. as like, you know, the great talent of Italian football. Then he's had his injury issues, yada yada. But Roma were like, ah, like and Zaniolo is trying to force his move because he wants to play top European football and you know ends up getting calls from Bournemouth. Like the 
if you look at the amount the you know the quality that a lower table Premier League team can buy, you know, let like if you compare the big dogs across leagues, like of course Real Madrid and PSG can spend what like you know can pay a hundred million for that player, you know, yada yada. But it, once we get past like the top four or five teams in those leagues, there's no comp the competition. There's no comparison between you know what an Elche in La Liga or you know a Montpellier in Ligue 1 or a you know Werder Bremen are going to pay in comparison to Leeds United to Southampton to um, um, yeah. So we're going to take. Yeah. Play into intro as we reset the call, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back after that nice musical interlude that I will probably forget to edit in. But we, you know, are about, I think, no, most teams, Arsenal, I mean, well, let's talk about Arsenal. Arsenal are halfway through the Premier League season. There's some variance because this season is the weirdest, you know, schedule with the World Cup, um, yada, yada. Um, but you know, now looking ahead to the second half of the season, I mean, it has been a unbelievable season. And I'm going to read you the table right now. And you're going to, and we're going to see that this is not exactly what we expected. So I'll start, <laughs> I'll start from the bottom. So wait, the- wait, wait, real quick. We did do Premier League predictions, but I feel like we did do a podcast before. Like that was like one of, maybe we don't, maybe even one pat, like that might have been our last podcast before this Ooh, i did. think we did in september yeah like that is gonna be insane to hear where i was oh yeah we gotta and oh we'll get fourth and Travis like damn he really put his neck on the line <laughs> like, like he's gonna get destroyed not that oh, yeah. anyone else like i'm sure it's chris was feeling the same way you know it's not i'll anyway. listen i'll listen back to that um and we'll do that next week we can reflect or you know later on but so bottom three bottom three we this is not surprising. Southampton, Everton, Bournemouth. Then we have Wolves. Then West Ham. That's a surprise. Leeds yeah. in 15th. Leicester in 14th. Who? Leicester were the worst team in the Premier League at the start of the season. Then like won every game for like three weeks. And then have lost four of their last five. Nottingham Forest in 13th. Wow, Forest have really brought themselves up. Yep. They're like, they're like, I mean, not that six points is that. I mean, I guess. It's They've only lost one last five. Crystal yeah. Palace in 12th, which is, I think Crystal Palace has been 12th for all of history and all of humanity. Uh, yeah. Aston Villa in 11th. This is where it gets really wild. Chelsea in 10th. Liverpool in 9th. Brentford in 8th. Fulham in 7th. Brighton in 6th. Spurs 5th. Manchester United 4th. Newcastle 3rd. Manchester City second on 45 points and Arsenal with 50 points and a game in hand. You know, of course, Arsenal still have to play Manchester City twice in the league. Turner, we're going to start with the big question. Halfway through the season, potentially could go eight points clear with a win. How are we feeling? Is it is it happening? I mean, it's definitely on the cards it would be it would be irresponsible for me to act like oh like we're we're still top four favorites <laughs> at, at this point uh i mean i don't know Chaz. it's pretty it's been pretty insane i don't think a single arsenal fan would have told you that this team was going to propel to the way 
it has um just reflecting on the season we really like even at man u we played really well i think deserved a draw like we really haven't i mean we haven't played city but considering we played everyone else um we've we've had a pretty incredible season and this team which really i, I think uh, like has really maintained its it's the same team he he chooses the same 11 every single time i think that's been yep. quite critical to our success obviously the jesus injury everyone thought that was going to derail us and Ketty has been playing out of his skin um but uh yeah i mean we've i, I don't know i don't i'm i'm in shock i mean it, every game is is still shock because uh the transition from last year to this year not that we didn't see glimpses of it last year um but players like Granit Xhaka who have comp- transformed into monsters and um, Odegaard being up there for player of the year and, you know, soccer continuing to just excel. Uh, I, it's, it's pretty staggering. And I, 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 I think, I know if it's insane, if we have this group chat and everyone's like, I think this is what, what's been really teaming off about the, the, the Arsenal's uh, rise is all the sports pundits. Everyone's like, They've now realized that they're so scared about Arsenal winning the league that they just say definitively it it's embarrassing if they don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as if as if any of them even had us for top four. Uh and then, you know, I mean, especially uh, you know that dude Boovy, the Man City fan, who is a like I don't know if you follow him on YouTube, but he he's known for winding people up, but he said it's the biggest it would be if Arsenal didn't win the league, it'd be the biggest embarrassment in the history of the Premier League. And obviously he's doing it to wind us up, but like I do, I don't know. I feel like that's that's now that's kind of where uh rival fans have gotten, which is I mean sh- also shows how impressive we've been because we're on the course for a hundred points, which is mm-hmm. insane, Jeff. Unbelievable. Insane. Um, so I don't know. Uh I, I really don't know what to think. I because I do think like our next game's at Everton with a new manager, that's not going to be easy. Like, I'm, I'm not like, like I think every game, not, not just any new manager. Sean Dice yeah, is back, exactly. baby. But do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not like I, I don't. It's not like I'm now scared that Arsenal going to have a shitter like the like mm-hmm. in the past where they could just not turn up. But just more that like I still don't think I, I'm still expecting this team to have like two losses and have to then really bring it back. So I don't know. I do think the Man City Premier League games, we've had a glimpse of it at the FA Cup, but it just wasn't the full teams on either end. It wasn't the, you know, I think those Premier League games, Chaz, are going to be really, really special. Um, and I think if we win, if we just win one of them, we will beat them at home um, and, and have, you know, win all the games up until that game. Uh, I, I mean, Jesus. Uh, it would be what eleven points ahead if we lost with our game in hand. But there is also a stretch in April that's brutal. There's a seven game stretch we play. You guys, Liverpool, City, Newcastle. It's a, I'll just I'll read it off real quick because I do think this is going to be why well, everyone is like trying to predict the league now. Arsenal uh-huh. have it's April eighth to May sixth. We have Liverpool away, West Ham away, Southampton at home, which is is fine. Man City away, Chelsea at home. This is Back to back to back. Man City away, Chelsea at home, Newcastle away, and then Brighton at home. That's four games back to back to back to back. Yeah, I think I think like and, and that'll be at the crux of the season. You mean like the you know um so 
I don't know. I don't think I really don't think anything's a given. And it's just I think what's also frustrating is people are like, oh, but City's not even been that good this season. It's like, are you kidding me? Like I get that Holland maybe doesn't perfectly fit Guardiola's system, but we're talking about a striker, City or City, and then they've added a striker who might who's already broke already beaten the top goal scorer numbers from the past three seasons, and we're not even halfway. And we're claiming that this city team isn't insane. Like, you mean, like, I don't know. That's just, I think, made Arsenal's um, position even more absurd that we're playing that we're in first place with a city team who, I mean, like, yeah, who are led by one of the most prolific strikers who could, I mean, if he scores 50 goals this season, that's that's insane. It's insane. He's on track for 50 goals. Um, So... I want to hear your reaction because I feel like we haven't. Not that you need to like bow down to me, but I'm I'm curious what because I did think that win at Stanford Bridge. Well, obviously you guys are have had your own season, which I, I know I'm gonna let you get into, but um, it was pretty crazy how we just kind of came to the bridge and and it wasn't really a competition, even though we also didn't score that many goals. But it yeah, I I wasn't well, really scared to be honest. I know we've talked. There's a whole new Chelsea team this second half of the season, which is what's crazy. Like I don't even know. Yeah. You know that's that's first half Chelsea. Yeah. I can make no predictions of, you know, how the rest of the season goes. I think, but one thing that's been really incredible about watching Arsenal games is twofold. I think, firstly, the fast starts are just unreal. Like, the first 10 minutes of Arsenal games have just... Oh, that Liverpool one? Oh, that was so nice. That marked that goal. But at the same time, it's like, I think what's also, it's been really impressive to see, you know, still relatively young i mean it's it's a pretty young team like in a lot of key areas you know they're like the you know, like you have players like shaka that are older um but you know overall i mean it's still relying on very young players and to see the sort of tenacity i mean the united game i think is you know testament to this you know you know in locked against a very informed united team and arsenal were not playing their best necessarily but to come through that that the result i mean Saka, the you know the scrappy goal at the end but Saka's goal unbelievable oh and, my god and his best goal know. ever his best by far by far and, is like on that stage crazy you know odegaard has turned into you know the premier league's best midfielder like this season and it's yeah. I mean, it's just pretty Im- incredible and i think you know it is you know, I remember a couple of years ago, we had, we're having conversations about like, is Arteta the man for the future? And it is evidence of the importance of, you don't need to give every manager time, but that when a manager has a plan and a, you know, an objective and a mechanism to get there as Arteta did, that it can turn into, you know, this, it can turn into building a team around this sort of core identity. And that core identity is, you know, look set to win the title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we won't, we don't need to uh, mm-hmm. hold, hold you to it. Give us, give us just like some idea as to maybe where, what you think for Chelsea. I mean, again, it's going to be so hard for you to predict it because it's a whole new team, but maybe just what's gone wrong for Potter so far. Um, and I mean, where do you even start again? But uh, yeah. I think, I think for me, part of it is, a there's clearly some player issues i think and because the same shit that's been happening under tuchel happens in for potter i think potter is like i mean i I really don't know it's just like 
the team obviously lacks uh, certain key elements. First of all, defensive stability is non-existent this year. I mean, I think the of all of these signings, the Koulibaly signing appears to be the most disastrous. Just seems. Yeah. Not Cucurella? I'm sorry. I just, for the price yeah. tag, he has been... <laughs> Uh, I haven't watched all your games, but no, Cucurella has been very poor, I, but I, th- I I think it's a competition between the two. And I, so I think I really am excited about Benoit Batashile. However, I think Benoit Batashile is going to not be able to be registered for the champions league because we are get, running out of spaces and we have to register Mudrick and uh, have to definitively uh, select Mudrick and fernandez and probably also felix i assume like that like there's no way he would have agreed to that loan if he knew that there was a chance that he wouldn't be able to play champions like football um so i just think that there's been you know there's no attacking identity there's no you know progression the it's just the team has just looked so sloppy for so long that i just you know it's just really unimpressive and so i think you know big changes have to be made and big changes have been made but I'm not, you know, calling for his firing, but there's, I haven't seen, you know, when Tuchel came in, he instilled a system and the team might did not play particularly well in that system at the start, but you could see what was going on. Like he was like, we are going to play, you know, a three at the back, you know, we are going to have, you know, these midfielder identities, we're going to have, you know, Mason Mount's going to move more vertical onto left wing. It's just, you know, it's a different, it's a style and that's not happening today. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. So should we go into, uh, uh, should we go into maybe, all right, maybe let's start with Chaz. Give me your three. Who's getting relegated uh, this season? Uh, I feel like that's a good place to start. Who are your three candidates to get relegated? I don't think Everton did enough in the transfer window. I, you know, they've, I know they've been there and they all, you know, they've been scraping it by. I just don't think they did enough. I think Southampton have looked off it. And I think, you know, uh, I'm going to go full on Wolves implosion. I, they just don't score. They just don't score goals. They, yeah. They've scored 12 goals this Premier League season. That's yeah. just the only reason that they're not in the relegation zone is because Bournemouth lost 9-0 to Liverpool earlier. That's it. So, yeah. yeah. What, yeah. What about your, what's your three? Oh, I kind of hope Everton escape. I really do hope Everton escape. I really like Everton. I think it's probably... My soft spot because my friend Andrew, who's who's been yep. a poor Everton fan, uh, and so I, I do hope they escape, but I I don't know if I don't really don't know if they will, especially also for the Premier League history. I think they haven't been relegated since the forties. It would be a really big deal. Are they? I know they haven't been relegated in the Premier League era. Um, but uh, anyway, so I hope Everton escape. I can't stand Southampton, so they can easily go down. Bournemouth, I've always had a soft spot for, but I really don't think they're 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 good. Uh, so I think I think Bournemouth. We'll see how these new signings go. I'd be I think it'd be really funny if if West Ham went down. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm not that like this is. I guess this is more of like a 
<laughs> like who I want to go down than who actually will go down. But so yeah, I think Southampton, Bournemouth, and West Ham. I think Wolves will will figure it out somehow. But I agree, they have to start putting the ball in the back of net, and they haven't done that so far. Um, okay, those are relegation teams. Uh, let's maybe then go to player or let's say winner transfer who's gonna be the biggest winner transfer signing who's gonna make the biggest difference um this 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 season Miguelo Mudrick <laughs> I, I mean you know I I think I think I'm really excited to see Enzo Fernandez play. I mean, I think Enzo Fernandez is going to be one of the best midfielders in the world. I just am so excited to see Mudrick like play because he's so different than any player Chelsea have right now. And he's just like speed demon, like absolute crazy. Hopefully he doesn't get suspended for this video. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, obviously, like, I'm just saying, we're talking about Greenwood coming back to the Prem and this dude like singing the N word. Like, it's obviously not great, a great look. Uh, I think it probably has a lot. He to also do with clearly didn't Greek. speak any English. <laughs> like, I think yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. Uh, not, obviously, it's not good. But no, but, he should uh, he should not do that. And I think you know if you're gonna do like fine him, it's you know. But I think Mudrik is my most exciting player. How about you? I mean, it's hard not to say Mudrik. Obviously, I really really want him in Arsenal, and and I I having I mean Chaz and I having paid let's say more attention to Ukrainian football than than most. Uh, we know he's been, he's, he's just fun to watch. Um, so I, I mean, I, I think, I think Trussard's shown some, some bright signs, uh, but I, I think, uh, uh -huh. I think in terms of who's going to change a team, um, it could be Mudrik and I'll, I'll go with him. Uh, I actually know about Weghorst, uh, he's going to bag in 40 goals, right? Uh, that's, that's the signing of season. So I'll, I'll go. I'll go. Uh, I'll go. Mudrick. Although, like, yeah, there's gonna be some funny. I don't know. Like, what is Anthony Gordon gonna do for Newcastle? What is like? What Absolutely is, nothing. Uh, dude. Yeah, <laughs> nothing. Probably nothing. What is Cedric Suarez gonna do for Fulham? We'll see. Uh, but uh, anyway, all jokes. Um, all right, and then let's save top four for last. Your player of the season. What do you? Who do you? Maybe who do you think it is now? And will it continue to be that for the for the end of the season? If so, I mean, I, I think I think this is a two horse race. I think, and between two two from the same nation, man. Two, yeah, two Norwegians. Uh, uh, you know, I'll let you pick yours first because I don't want to steal thunder on who I think you're gonna pick. Oh, I mean, I, I okay. If Holland breaks the record, if if Holland gets forty goals, it, it, even if Arsenal win the league, I think it has to be Holland. That like that that is absurd. Now, um, now, are we saying who who do we think will win or who do we think should win? Like this is a but like I'm obviously biased. I think should and will. Yeah. If, if Holland gets forty goals, um, and and then you know obviously if City win the league, it's not even a question. But even if Arsenal win the league, I think it should still be Holland. I think if Arsenal win the league, Holland slows down a little bit. You know, gets like thirty three, which is you know just not that impressive. Uh, <laughs> And Odegaard continues his form and continues, like, gets, let's say, 30 goal involvements, right? Like, 15 goals, 13 assists. Um, I mean, he's, he's been remarkable. Uh, and yeah. especially to captain the title-winning team, I think he I think, I think think he would he would deserve it at that point. But uh, it's hard to argue with 25 goals and 19. I agree with this. You know, I think Odegaard has been the most 
like one of the it's just unbelievable every time i see them he is and also if you take into account you know he is still only you know 20 24 24 captain yeah. of the team you know captaining a team of a lot of players his similar age profile like even gabriel jesus who we think has been around forever is 25 uh yeah. and but you know i and there is somebody just like you know if city win the title which you know or i think has like a at this point i would say like a 20 percent chance happening i don't even know uh 20 all right i, mean, I know we're about to do the predictions but dude it isn't that slim all, all right, right 35 um and then um <laughs> uh, but then holland i mean because holland's also been but you know I, I'm honestly, I'm I'm going to go out of guard. I just think he has been the best player in the Premier League this season. Yeah, yeah. All right, top four. I'll go first, then. I'll let you. Yeah, you got to go first. You got to go All first. Right. Everyone's been asking for, yeah. Go ahead, Jess. I think fourth will be, I think Chelsea will get fifth or sixth i don't think they're gonna get fourth i just think it's wow. you do expect a massive i'm not saying I don't yeah i mean it's, it's just also like order to, to to rein in these three yeah, 30 players get yeah. but i think there's two things i think that and also i think that a bunch of teams above them are gonna start like because at the same time like i don't think brentford are gonna be able to outperform chelsea in terms yeah. of points and chelsea aren't like super far back on like a sixth they're very far back on fourth um yeah. And so I think fourth, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Newcastle in fourth, Manchester United in third. City in second, Arsenal in first. Wow. Yeah, I'm calling it. Wow. Where, what world am I living in that? We had Chaz is saying we're going to win the league. Uh, I'm just, but I'm still, look, whatever. I'm not mad two, at it. Obviously, these two but, City Arsenal games are going to be unbelievable. Oh, and they and they're right this season. Like City could easily win both those games, and that's why I think we haven't even played them once. That we need to calm down. Uh, all right, top four. I'm also going to say I'm really glad you're giving Newcastle that fourth because I feel like when people do, I've seen these predictions for the next, second half of the season, people are like. Newcastle will go to seventh. Like, dude, they've conceded eleven goals this season. That is, they haven't conceded a goal since October. I think that's what the stat is. Dude, John Longstaff is playing out of his mind. Like, that's yeah. like yeah. the best part about Newcastle is, you know, it's obviously like the Saudi money and all that stuff. But at the same time, it's like, it's like, it's stupid. Isn't, dude. It, it's Eddie Howe deserves so much credit. It's all these so, like, no, followers that we thought were past their their prime. Yep, Jolington, Almiro. I mean, how many more people has he brought? Dan Burnett left. Are you fucking excuse me? Jesus, we'll bleep it out. I'll, but like, like that is insane. We have even a six five left back who's who played, I mean, soccer quite well. Anyway, crazy. Um, all right, Jesus, top four. Uh, I mean, I think I, I, I kind of like how it stands, uh, obviously. Uh, but I think, I think you're. Top four, your two, your fourth and third are hard to argue with. I don't think Spurs will make any. I, I think Spurs are awful, to be honest. I don't think Dan Juma is going to do anything to that. Uh-huh. Or Pedro Poro, although they have needed a right wing back for a while, and and we'll see how, how we'll see how he um he fits in. So I'll go, I'll go Newcastle, 
Man United. I mean, like everyone's gonna shit at me for this, but I really do still. I still think it's a fifty-fifty. I, I, I think if you were to tell me Arsenal's, if if Party and Saka stay fit the entire season, I would, I would go on a whim and say we're gonna win the league. But I, I still think there's gonna be some dips, and I think if Holland continues to score, like I just, we're not gonna be able to compete with that. So I think it'll be close. It'll be neck and neck to the end of the season. But I'm gonna go. Arsenal City. I know everyone's gonna hate me for that, especially because hey, I'm not. But I, I genuinely think second would be absurd. If we got to ninety points and came in second, I'd be so stoked. I really do think it's it's on, right? It's not like we don't have a chance. I just, I just think we're we're at some point it's gonna catch up with us that we have the youngest squad in the league, and 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 I and I, I think it's gonna be heartbreaking. Um, but I also think I'm gonna be obviously really proud of, of us. So um, well. On that dismal note, Turner, you know, not standing up for his boys, you know, huh? The, you know, we'll be back soon. New podcast. We'll figure out a schedule. You know, we're yeah, working. Yeah. We're not working. <laughs> I mean, I'm not working, but Turner, Turner, Turner's a man at work. And we'll get you guys, all of our dedicated listeners, back to the content that they deserve. Turner, thank you so much for joining me this morning. And thank you all so much for listening.